Oh, Indiana Jones. Everybody seen that show? Yeah, yeah, you remember well. So God's word today uh, to all of us is this. When things go from bad to worse. Right, that's what happens with him. He's, he's in there, he thinks he's got it all made, he's got the idol, and all of a sudden things start falling apart and they just keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Right? That's sometimes what happens in our, in our day, in our world. When I gave my life to Christ, I became a Christian. I thought, I thought that everything would be like amazing and everything would be great. You know, I was a sinner lost in my selfishness and I found God and he found me and I connected with him, and I thought, man, this is going to be awesome, man. Everything's going to be awesome, right? It's going to be great. Money's going to start rolling in. This money tree is going to be in the backyard, you know. My car situation was about to improve. I was going to get a great job, and, and everything was going to be awesome, you know. That's what I thought. That's, you know, as a, a young person uh, who just gave their life to Christ. That's kind of what you think. But what I discovered was that God is really not all that into the latest hot rods. But what he is into is making us strong, making us better, making us more courageous. He's more interested about our character and who we are as people and how he can use us in this world for his glory. That's what I discovered that God was up to in my life. It's a great day when bad things turn around quickly, you know? When things aren't, don't seem to be going well, and then all of a sudden they turn around, that's a good day, right? And those days are wonderful. When, when somebody like maybe comes to the rescue in your life, like you're going through a hard time or some things are happening and all of a sudden somebody steps into your world, into your life, and they invite you to uh, Easter Sunday and you're like, man, I needed this. I need God back in my life. You know, and there's thousands and thousands of people in our community right now that are right there. They have wandered away from the church. They've wandered away from God. They, they're doing their own thing. And what they need and what they know they need is for somebody to step into their life and say, hey, God loves you. You know, God wants you. God wants to know you more. He wants you to know him. And when we take that step, amazing things can happen. But, but a number of times in the scriptures, we, we read about things going from, from bad to better, right? We, we, we read stories and there's passages. We're reminded of people who were in a predicament. And then all of a sudden it just changed for the good, for the better. We love those days, right? Like Peter. Remember Peter? He, he, uh, the church was being persecuted. Uh, James was just killed, and, and Peter was thrown in prison. He was probably going to be executed soon as well. Remember, and there he is for the night. He's in prison, in chains, in bonds, and an angel comes into the prison and appears to him, and the shackles fall off Peter, and there's this great escape. He leads Peter right out of the prison, and we find out the church is at someone's home praying for Peter. Like, God can do that, right? He can just step into your situation, and things that look really bad can change to really good just like that. Remember those stories, right? Like, like Jonah is another one, right? Jonah, remember him? God calls Jonah to go preach the word. Some of you have been called to go preach the word. Jonah decided to go the opposite direction, right? And so Jonah's on a ship, sailing away, sailing away. You know, he's singing the song, sailing away. And there he goes, and, and all of a sudden there's a storm and the weather, and the crew begins to realize somebody on the ship 
is causing all this. Somebody's after us. And uh, after a little while, they realize it's Jonah. He confesses and they like heave ho, off you go into the ocean. And, and Jonah now is like, is going from bad to bad to bad to worse. And God provides this great big fish to swallow Jonah and then to burp him up on, on dry ground. How cool is that? Like, see, God, boom, just like that, can, can turn your bad situation into a good one, like instantly, if he wants to. If he really wants to do that, he can intervene at any moment. Like Israel, right? They're, they're in Egypt, they're in bondage, and uh, they, they have rebelled against God, and so God raises up this deliverer, and he comes into Egypt, and he leads them out of Egypt into the promised land. Now, it took a while to get there because of their, their rebelliousness, but they got to the promised land. See, God can change our circumstances, maybe not overnight like he does with some people, maybe over a period of time, but he can do that. He can do that. It's an awesome thing when things go from bad to good or even from good to great. That's an awesome day, right? And in the end of all time, it's going to happen just like that. One day, Jesus is going to come. Revelation chapter 21, look what it says. 21 verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. See, in the end of all things, God is going to say, that's it, it's over, and everything will come to a screeching halt. And then eternity will begin, right? And and Jesus will appear and our rescuer will, will, will be there. Right? One day that's going to happen. Till then we're in a battle, right? We're in a battle. Doesn't always go that way. We don't always get that rescue. We don't always get that, that salvation right now in the middle of our struggles. Many times things don't go from bad to good to better. They go from bad to worse. Anybody ever been there? Of course we have. We've all been there. It's like a storm, right? Long before they had uh, uh, radar detectors to decide, you know, what kind of storm was headed our way. You know, back in the day, like the storm would start on the coast and pretty soon that storm became a hurricane, right? And without much warning, people were just bombarded and blasted by a hurricane and things go from bad to worse. Or, or if you lived up north, you, you understand, you know what a snowstorm can amount to. Starts fun and wonderful and snowman-like. And pretty soon cars are buried in it and it's up to the phone lines and people are freezing to death because they can't drive. They're stuck in the street somewhere and they can't get out. Things go from bad to worse in a lot of ways, in a lot of times in our life. Maybe, maybe a sickness that turns into a serious disease and the next thing you know, you only got a few, a few years to live. You get word that that your time is short. Things happen like that in this world. We live in a world where we, we deal with these things, where these struggles happen to us all the time. But God, here's the good news, God is not unaware of that. God is like not unaware. He's not unaware of where you've been. He is not unaware of where you are. And he's not unaware of where you're going. He knows it all. 
God knows it all. He is totally in the know when it comes to where you are and what's going on in your life. And the cool thing about it is God uses hardship like a chisel. He uses it to develop us, to make us stronger, to make us better, to make us more in tune with him. You know what I mean? Because we have to cry out to him. When we're in need, we realize how small we really are and how big he really is and how big our need for him really is. You know, and so we cry out to God, right, when we're in need. Thank God for our needs, right? Thank God for times of trials where we have to cry out to him. And the Bible's full of examples of God's children experiencing these things that go from bad to worse, right? Let me mention a couple. Job. Remember Job, just minding his own business, didn't do anything wrong. And all of a sudden, Job's life goes from bad to worse, right? Goes, goes bad quick, real bad, right? It wasn't on Job at all. Job didn't do anything to deserve it. And think about Judas, right? Judas is one of the... One of the Disciples of Jesus, just following Jesus, and, and all of a sudden, on, on, all on him, he makes decisions that lead him away from his following and his faithfulness and his commitment to Jesus, and it results in him killing himself. It went from bad, one bad choice, to his own death. Things go from bad to worse in lots of cases. Think about Moses just trying to do good, right? Moses just trying to do good. He, he, he meets God at the burning bush. He goes back to Egypt. He, God uses him in a mighty way, and they're up against the sea, and then they're up against rebellion, and they're wandering for 40 years. And Moses leads them to the promised land, but doesn't even get to go in it. Things go from bad to worse in lots of different ways. What I would like us to think about is the life of Joseph. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament? His life is a perfect example of this idea of when things go from bad to worse and what we should do about it. How do, how do you handle it when things go from bad to worse? Right? It's a good question. Like, how do you deal with that? What do you do when, when things seem to be bad and then you get another piece of evidence or news and it's even worse? And you find yourself in this like downward spiral. What do you do? We all are there or will be there because we live in a broken, fallen world. And it hits us from all directions. But Joseph's life is a great example of this kind of pattern. And what he did about it is amazing. His story is anything but ordinary. It's an amazing story of a guy who has faith. And if anyone has reason to be like bitter at God and bitter at his family and disown them and hate them and throw in the towel and mope around and complain about everything, it would be Joseph. He had every reason in the world to be like that. But we just don't see that happening to him. As you read through his story, right? You just don't see it happening. So we're in Genesis chapter 37. Go there if you would. Genesis 37. Open your Bibles. We're going to kind of take chapter 37. It's not the whole story of Joseph, but it's a good taste of what we're going to talk about. Joseph 37 verses 1 to 11 is like the setup or the, uh, the scene one of his story here. Let me read it. Genesis 37. This is, uh, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob's line, uh, family line. Joseph 
a young man of 17 was tending the flocks with his brothers and sons in Bilhah, and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and and he and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he had made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word of to, um, a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, verse 5, and when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in a field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told his brothers, Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I, your brothers, actually come and bow down to you, to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. And so scene one is this idea of what's going on with Joseph. He's the youngest, right? He's, he's like the youngest brother of these 12. He's 17 years old. And this is the line of Abraham and the line of Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And he's having these dreams, right, that his brothers and his family would one day, sometime out in the future, would serve him, the youngest. Well, that didn't settle very well with him and, or with the brothers. And so they hated him for this, right? And so what set in was jealousy, right? Jealousy. Jealousy that, that he was telling them that they would one day serve him, the younger brother. They already didn't like him because he was his favorite to his father. And his father did special things for him. And so he was that little brother that everyone wanted to slap when they walked by him, right? You guys got one of those? <laughs> Maybe, how many of you were that little brother? Right? I was the second youngest of eight kids. Um, so me and Steve, we got beat up all the time. Um, so that's the same, scene one, is that the, the scene is set, and, and, and this, this family, there's this family in the line of Jacob, his sons, and they don't like their younger brother, and he's had these dreams that God has given him, and these dreams are basically saying, one day you're going to serve me. And they're not too good with that. Not sure I would be either. You know, I, I, you try to put yourself in, in their shoes, right? Your younger brother, your little brother comes to you and tells you one day you're going to serve me. Well, until that day, buddy, <laughs> it's going to get rough. Uh, so, you know, that's a, that's a tough thing to swallow. Verses 12 to 17, look what happens here. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. 
So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. And then he sent them off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. Scene two. Joseph, by the orders of his dad, Jacob, goes looking for his brothers to see how things are going so he can come back and tell his dad. He's the, he's the cell phone. You know, it's not, he can't call and say, how you guys doing? It's like, send Joe, the youngest brother. He's going to go find out how they're doing, and he'll come back and tell me how they are so dad can kind of be at ease, all right? Isn't it, isn't it interesting that, that they don't like Joseph? And they, uh, the Joseph knows they don't like him, you know? He's got knots all over his head to prove it. They don't like him. They don't like the dreams he's been having. They don't like what he says might happen, that he will rule over them one day. He'll be greater than them somehow. They're not liking this. And and so dad sends Joseph out there in the wilderness to find his brothers to to see how they're doing. It reminds me of a story of my brothers. My, My brothers were always like, they were older than me, but they were always like very protective of the younger brothers. There's several years that separated us. My mom had one girl, three boys, one girl, three boys. That's how it kind of all went. I was in the last little group at the end. But my brothers were always there, and I knew that even though, even though I was like, you know, their thorn in their side, uh, wherever we all had to go, because we were little and, and probably um, a little bit um, like we irritated them, right? Like a little brother does. I knew they had our back. I knew in the end, if anything were to happen, they would be there for us. You know, there was that feeling that they cared about me, you know, that we were, at, we were in different places at different times, and, I, and they did come to the rescue. You know, kids were bullying us because we were younger, and, and they stepped in. And so I knew that that was true. But for Joseph, he's going out into the wilderness to find his brothers, and he knows they don't like it. They don't like him. But he goes anyway, and he goes to find them. And he searches and he finds them in Dothan, verse 18. But they saw him, so here comes Joseph, and they see him at a distance before he reached them, and they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came, To his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornament robe he was wearing, and they took him and they threw him into a cistern, a cistern that was empty. There was no water in it. Scene three right here, right? The plot now to kill Joseph, their youngest brother, the little guy, the runt of the litter, right? They're going to kill him because he's a dreamer, because he's saying things that they don't like. They're going to throw him into the cistern. They're going to make up a lie that wild animals devoured him, and they're going to tell dad, Jacob, 
that this is the story and we're all sticking to it. It's getting thick and then it's getting evil. Like this is not just, we don't like our brother now, we really want him dead. That's kind of rude, right? You know, that's a little rude. That, that's pretty vicious to go from, from not liking him because, of, because he's maybe a favorite to now wanting the boy dead. And the rub is, verse 20, his dreams, right? That's the rub of this whole thing. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we will see what comes of his dreams. And then Reuben, the oldest brother, he comes to the rescue, right? Because that's what older brothers do. We've got some older brothers, older brothers, sisters in the room. Anybody the oldest of your group? Okay, a couple. That's what they do, right? There's the wisdom, right? There's the, the love and the protection. It's always like that first child, maybe because they become like help, mom's helper of babysitting all the other ones, right? And they love their younger sisters, right? Yes, you do. You would do anything for her. You just won't tell anybody that you won't. So Reuben comes to the rescue. Verse 25, check it out. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a, a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their animals were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh. There's a little bit of love right here. And our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianites, the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't here. Where can I not turn now? Where can I turn now? And so here we have this scene four uh, where, where Joseph is rescued from his brothers. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that wild? Jo Joseph has to be rescued from his own family, like his own brothers, that God is working in all of this to bring about something like miraculous, that one day in the future that God knows how he will use Joseph in one day down there, even though none of them know, Joseph has an idea that he's going to be used in some great way, and he believes in God, that God will do that. His brothers don't want to hear about it. And so God has to come and rescue Joseph from his own family. And twice he is sold, once to these, this caravan that's coming through, and then again later on he's sold to the Egyptians. And he's sold for 20 shekels of silver. 20 shekels of silver. And when Jesus, when Judas, uh, when Judas betrayed Jesus, it was for how many silver coins? 30. And that was, uh, today's wage is about $200, so this is less than that. For, for, for our, our wage, for, for like 150 bucks, you could sell your, kid, your, your brother or your sister. There you go. Okay, that's the going rate, apparently. <laughs> Scene 5, verse 31. Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped it, the robe in the blood. And they took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. 
He recognized and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animals has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to confront him or to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. And so his father wept for him. So they come back and they've got their story, right? Oh, they got their story and one day they're going to get caught up in their story. Their story is going to come back to bite them hard. Have you ever been caught in your story? Have you? Like, you know, this is what I'm going to tell mom and dad. It's believable. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. How foolish, how foolish, right? We think that they are just totally in another world. They have no clue. They're clueless. They'll never figure this out, right? They are from the Stone Age. They'll never figure out what we've been up to, right? And so they have this story that they're going to tell their dad, and it's made up of lies and lies and lies, and it's it's motivated by a hatred for their brother. And so they leave their father to believe that his youngest son is dead. And that's how they leave him. Verse 36, scene 6 Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. And so God now is with Joseph. That's a beautiful place to be, isn't it? Like, the story is ugly. I mean, it's, it's full of like evil. This is like soap opera stuff. Right? This is a, a hate for a brother, you know, and, and things just keep going from, from bad to worse to worse to worse to death to, you know, he's devoured to, he's sold into slavery, and things are not looking good. But in the middle of the story, in the middle of Joseph's story is God. He's right there with him, right the whole time, right? Like walking with him. And so when, when things go from bad to worse, the question is, where are you going to turn when things go from bad to worse? Like, where do people turn when the bottom falls out? Where do most people turn, right? Think about that. Your friends, your neighbors, these people that we're, we want to invite to worship with us because we want them to know that there's a God who loves them, that there's a God who cares about them, that there's a, there's a better answer for them. Where do people turn when the bottom falls all let me suggest a couple places some people turn to unhealthy addictions right drugs and alcohol they turn immediately to things that are familiar and attainable that can numb the pain in some way maybe block it out in some way but but these things we all know are self-destructive they will not do it they're just a false front that looks like it's going to bring some kind of pleasure and some kind of like like uh you know, just to block out the pain that I'm feeling. But once you get past that frost front, there's nothing there to sustain you. Some people turn to like astronomy or the stars. They, they turn to things out there in the universe, right? They turn to science for their answers. That science will somehow explain why things happen the way they do. And that leaves people empty as well because there's nothing there substantial for your soul. Other people turn to religion or to spiritual type things, mediums and spiritualists, and they dive into the unknown looking for answers for their, to, to give them peace and to give them some kind of closure, and they're not going to find it there either. They're not going to find it there because there's nothing there. It's empty. 
There's no truth. So when things go from bad to worse, what do you do? Like, what do you do? What should you do? Like, have you ever found yourself in a really bad spot saying to yourself, what am I going to do now? Right? And we all, we all get there. In one way or another, well, it's, whether it's health or work or whatever it may be, we all find ourselves in places in life where we're asking ourselves, what am I going to do? And I'd like to suggest to you a couple things that we learned from Joseph in the rest of his story that, that might help us. The first thing is this that we learned from Joseph is this. As, you, as the story unfolds, we learn that Joseph remained faithful to the Lord. That's the first thing, right? Just remain faithful to the Lord. Never stop doing, in other words, never stop doing what is right. Never stop putting God first. Never stop putting God in your heart first, right? Joseph shared the dreams with his brothers, with his families that God had put on him, even though it was going to put a target on his back. Right? He remained faithful to God, even though he knew that his brother, especially after he told them the first one and he got the response they got, you would have thought, Joe, no, let's keep this between you and God. Right? But he didn't do that. He stood up and he said, this is what the Lord is like doing in my heart. This is what God is leading in my life. And he wasn't afraid of that. He remained faithful to the Lord. He had to deal with differing opinions about what it was God was calling him to do. And you will too, right? When you start saying things like, I'm going to Bible college or, or I'm going to serve the Lord on a mission field, people in your life are going to say you're nuts. You know, they're going to say, what, how are you going to make a living doing that? Right? They're going to say all kinds of things to you to discourage you or to tell you that's not the way you should go. But not Joseph. He remained faithful to the Lord through it all. In it all, he kept his eyes on God and not on his circumstances, okay? That is huge with this. Joseph is faithful to God, and even though things are going from bad to worse to worse to worse, his eyes are on the Lord. They're not even on, like, the circumstances that are surrounding him. And in chapter 39, in Egypt, his master in Egypt saw that the Lord was with him because he remained faithful. He was faithful to God through it all. God gave him success in all that he did in the years that followed in Egypt. God was with him because he remained faithful to God. Isn't that interesting, right? That in slavery, God gave him success. Right? In the middle of his worst of worst, he is there because he's been sold by his own family. His father thinks he's dead. And he's, he's like, he's in the middle of Egypt as a slave. And in the middle of that situation, God gives him success. Now, what does that say about what God can do for you and you're in the midst of your situation? Wherever you find yourself, God is there. He's, he can work in that. He can work through you. He can give you success in the midst of that trial. In fact, that trial may be there for that very reason. Joseph just kept his eyes on the Lord and he remained faithful. And because he remained faithful, he had success in the middle of the pit, in the middle of the darkness. That is huge for us because we're all going to experience trials and these troubles and things are going to get bad at times. But you keep your eyes on Jesus and he'll give you success. 
He will. He did for Joseph. Number two is this. Accept life, accept what life throws at you or, or accept what God throws at you. Okay? And then in the middle of that, look for the miracle. Right? Like accept what God is doing and how God wants to do it. It may not be your plan. It may not be a good plan that you don't think it is, but God has a reason for what he's doing in your life. He's got a reason for where you are right now and where you're going to be tomorrow and where you're going to be the next day. He has a purpose in it. And if you keep your eyes on him and you look for a miracle in the midst of whatever is coming your way, wherever you find yourself, you will see God do mighty things. Just like Joseph did. See, we must see every turn, right, as a challenge for us to keep our eyes on God. That's what we do. We take a turn, doesn't look pretty, and we get our eyes on God. We get our eyes off of the circumstances and we put them on the Lord because we know the Lord is working in our circumstances. He's going to use them for his glory. Somehow things are going to happen, whether we're aware of what's happening or not. God is doing a mighty work. Joseph had his head up the whole time. And the whole time he was like watching for God's sightings. He was like looking for God. Okay, my brothers hate me. God, show me what you want out of that. Okay, these stories about me being over them is not, is, is not making things good. God, show me what you want out of that. Okay, I got to go visit my brothers out in the middle of the wilderness. They're probably going to slap me upside the head a couple times and maybe throw me in a cistern. And they do. And Joseph's heads up the whole time. God, how are you going to use me from this pit? They're sold in, he's sold into slavery, and Joseph the whole time is like, God, how are you going to use me in this? And his head is up, like in the fog, in the middle of the fog, and that's where we find ourselves when things go from bad to worse. It's like in this fog. I remember a Tyler, a little guy of mine I was mentoring, we were out on, our, on my boat in Newburn, and, the, and we were on the ocean on the causeway there, and we were trying to come back in, and there was this humongous, like thick layer of fog and it wasn't very wide. It was only probably about 100 yards wide, but, but we couldn't see that because we were on the river and there's, there's like buoys and you got to stay in between the buoys. You're going to run on dry ground or on shallow waters and you're going to be in trouble. So you got to follow the buoys. Well, we couldn't even see the buoys and they're blinking. Well, I couldn't see from, from me to Jason away. I mean, the fog was like a wall of fog and it was cloud. So we, fi- we finally eased up onto a pole and I just tied off to a pole, one of the poles in the middle of the, in the, middle of the channel. And I'm thinking, oh, man, we're, we're in trouble here because boats are coming by and we're, we're like where we shouldn't be. But if we go too far this way, maybe as far as that wall and that wall, we're, we're going we're gonna to hit dry ground and we're going to be in trouble. But we couldn't see. So in the middle of the fog, in the middle of fog, a couple things to think about. We must look harder. You got to look harder in the fog. Right? You got to focus a little more when you're in the fog. When you know it's coming at you, you got you to gotta just zoom in a little bit tighter. You got to really pay attention. You got to remember also God's past record in your life that that He has been faithful to you up to this day. He will be faithful to you today and tomorrow. You just keep your eyes on Him when you're in the fog, when you can't see in front of your face and you're not sure what's going to happen next or what you're going to run into. You remember that God has been with you and you trust Him. And the third thing is you just rely on your instruments. 
That's what you have to do. Unfortunately for me in my boat, there were no instruments. They were all broken. <laughs> I, had my, I had my phone and was trying to get the GPS to kind of keep us on course. And we just kind of slowly eased our way through the fog and through the, through the channel. And we got to the other side and I looked back and there it was again. It was like, it was like the strip of fog. It was the weirdest thing ever. It wasn't like all over the whole uh, channel. It was just, just like this right at the bridge that we were about to go under. There's this layer of fog, and we had to just rely on our instruments. And for us, that's the Word of God. You just rely on the Word of God. You rely on the Spirit of God in your life, and you trust God. So whatever life throws at you, just look for the miracle in it. Accept it. Don't fight it. Don't reject it. Don't, don't be weird with it. Just walk in it. Right? Trust God. Israel, are between a rock and a hard place, right? They're at the sea. Things are going from bad to worse, and now... The, you know, the, the military of Pharaoh is about to crush them. Sure, death is here. People are crying. It would be better for us to die in Egypt than to be out here with you, Moses. And Moses says, watch and see the glory of God. And in the midst of the fog, God parts the sea and they go across. See, they keep their eyes on the Lord. They didn't ask to be between the sea and, a, and Pharaoh's army. But that's where they found themselves. And when they decided they were going to trust God, instead of look at their circumstances, God went to work, right? Jesus is in Bethany, and Lazarus is dead, and Jesus is about to have the stone removed, remember? And Martha says, Lord, Lazarus has been dead for four days. He's stinking, right? He's, he's not going to smell good. And Jesus says this, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? That's it. That's like it for you. Whatever it is you're in or whatever it is you find yourself in, just remember, Jesus is there. He's with you. And he said, if you believe, you will see my glory in the middle of whatever it is you're going through. And the third thing is this. When things look really bad, look forward to the end. Look forward to the end. A big finish is coming. Right? That, that seed that it goes in the ground and dies is going to burst forth into this flower, this beautiful tree. The testing of your faith that hurts and is like being in the fire is going to produce perseverance and maturity in your life. The end is going to be better than it is right now. Where you're going is going to be better maybe than where you feel you are now. Joseph, all of his dreams are fulfilled. Check that out, right? All of them. All of his dreams are fulfilled. The ones where his families would bow down to him. The one where God wins and Israel is preserved. The one where his brothers are saved in spite of their evil hearts. The one where God works in mysterious ways and unconventional by any human standards. Where the things that went from bad to worse gave birth to greatness and victory and rescue and deliverance and a mighty hero. <laughs> Isn't that good, right? From the pit of the cistern, hated by his brothers and sold as a slave to greatness in Egypt where God's ultimate plan came together. That's, that's it. Faith, just stay faithful, right? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Accept what life throws at you and, and look for the miracle in the middle of it and then look forward to the end because the end is going to be super, Super duper end, right? The end is coming and your troubles will turn and God will have the final say. Isn't that awesome? You just hang on to him 
And his final say will be for your glory and for your goodness and for your, your health and for your future. See, Jesus is coming. He is coming. Jesus is coming soon. And the end is very near and victory is just around the corner. Hang on.